This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Miles Danhausen Jr. And today I'm joined by our editor here at the Peninsula Pulse, Deborah Fitzgerald. Deborah, thanks for joining me. Thanks for asking me to be here. As usual, I refer to you as Deborah on the podcast and Deb and all other <laughs> interactions with you. I don't know why that happens or, or how, but I, I switch um, off like that for a lot of people, so I'm kind of accustomed to it. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about one of our favorite seasons of the year. It's Halloween. No, not actually. <laughs> it's election season right around the corner here. And for us, that means, you know, the, the annual grapple with, or sometimes every other year, but usually there's some election local or, or national every year and how to cover it, how to, how to get the word out and then how to deal with the, the divide that's going on in national politics. And then that trickles down into our local politics, even the most local of politics now, unfortunately. And you've written a couple of editorials the last couple of weeks about some of the things that that we're seeing in the community and that we're seeing within the paper, both about, uh, you know, people writing their letters to the editor and then also the signage that we see everywhere around the county. And the first thing I wanted to talk to you about was kind of how how we deal with, and I think this might be helpful for our listeners and our readers, Hmm. how we deal with letters to the editor as we approach political season, both in you know, where we put the brakes on them and how we evaluate what goes in and what's helpful. Because ultimately we put the paper out, we send it to every mailbox in the county. We want it to be helpful to people. Right. So I I don't have a specific question for you, but I just want to talk to you about like, so we get this onslaught. We We only have so much space. Kind of what's your approach to going, what do I get in the paper and, and not? Yeah, it's, it's tricky at this time of year. We always have a very healthy letter writing readership. So there are always lots of letters to the editor. And when you first came here, that was one of the things that you really liked about our readership. And right? I, I remember you saying that, like, this is great. You actually get letters still. Right. Which is not the case with a lot of newspapers. And also a lot of newspapers are cutting it off. I mean, there right. are now major newspaper chains that are deciding not even to endorse candidates anymore. Mm -hmm. And this is directly attributed to, you know, the divide in politics, because it's almost like you have to sit in the chair of the person who is receiving all of these letters and going through all of these letters to understand really how truly divisive it is. And also to understand the level to which misinformation has infiltrated everybody's opinions on things. Mm -hmm. So when the election approaches, when it nears, then the letters start to ramp up even more. And it is a good thing. I'm not saying that it's not a good thing, but they ramp up to the, to the almost tsunami level. (laughs) And they, you know, so I'll look at letters and I know that it's going to be, you know, I know how long it's going to take to go through every one of those. I know that a lot of those letters will not have sources that they've sent. I know a lot of letter writers don't even know that information needs to be sourced because they don't believe that it is, that they're citing, you know, facts. They believe that they're, they're citing their opinion and yet they're putting factual information into their opinion. Yeah. Like, so like you want the opinion, like that's what writing a letter we do is, but it, you don't want that opinion 
that's based on, you know, within that letter is based on the sky is red, you know, like, yes, that's where the problem starts to arise. It's like the, this whole letter is based on not factual information. <laughs> Correct. And that's, and that's the, and I've gone back and forth with a couple of letter writers trying to explain that if you cite, you know, 500 million illegal immigrants have been let into this country this year, then I need to know where you got that source for that 500 million illegal yeah. immigrants that have, well, it's just, you know, it, you can look it up. Well, we don't have a fact-checking department. And <laughs> well, we do. It's you. <laughs> yeah, it's me. It, correct. And so, really, it is upon the letter writer to make sure that they send sources if they're ever citing any facts or figures. And with political letters, which is the majority of what we're getting, obviously, these days, there is always the facts and figures that are put into the letters. I believe that writers believe that if they just show enough numbers, then they're going to be persuasive with their letter. Yeah. And I, I really don't think that's the case. I think that those are numbers that are shouted from a platform that the other side has heard so much mm -hmm. that they automatically tune it out. It's kind of like, I know what you're saying. I know what you're going to say. Like, and that's what these letters are about as we approach the election they are platform letters. So it is, this is what Republicans believe and this is what Democrats believe. And then it's, you know, inevitably slamming the other side for their beliefs, you know, versus mm -hmm. the real beliefs. So when we get, you know, the majority of our letters are like that. So it's fortunate that we're getting probably an equal number of, of Democrats and Republicans who are writing. Yeah. So then, you know, going through the letters is just a matter of, you know, saying Democrat, Republican, Democrat. Republican. So, <laughs> yeah, so you try to give some measure of both sides of this. Exactly. I struggle with saying both sides are equality or equal time because I don't think that's how is that's kind of the old journalism adage. It's like, mm -hmm. well, you need to cite a source from both sides. Well, if, if one saying the sky is red and one is saying the sky is blue, like, you don't have to cite the guy saying the sky is red. Like that's not equal, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing with letters though. You're going through them. You may be trying to get equal voice, but if one is, none of it's based on real facts or that can be cited, then you can't just squeeze them in just to have that side, right? Right. And that's one of the things you grapple with. And I hate to sound like a, a journalist complaining. I don't think that's very useful, but it gets to a larger point of like some of the stuff, someone will have sent a letter in and this speaks to like the, the tone in our culture right now. And you will tell them cite sources and maybe their, their letter won't run that week because you're waiting for the information and they'll come back. And some of the, the emails you get are, are full of vitriol and they're, they're mean. Yes. And then if you talk to that same person on the phone or run into them in person, they totally backed out. They're so cordial. <laughs> they're nice. And like, why do you think it's okay? Like it's as the letter writer, why do you think it's okay to just spout this stuff and be this polarized meanness about things when in person you would never be that way. And it's kind of like this social media, email, Twitter, all this stuff about how we communicate now, texting versus calling. We think it's okay to just be rude and mean about it all the time. Yes. Yes. And then you're like, well, once we talk to each other, you know, we could actually have a conversation about this issue and solve it, but we just don't do that as a society. And, and even so like the letters page, is sort of like a microcosm of that. Yeah. And I think that Probably this opportunity to be uncivil in digital communication comes from social media. Yeah. I think that people are very accustomed to being able to say whatever they want to say on social media. And so when they're sending an email, they kind of do the same thing. And I even had one person 
say to me, you know, if, if I saw you in person, I think that we would be able to have a cordial conversation. And, and I thought exactly what you just said. Yeah. And, and I actually wrote this to this person and said, you know, why would that be okay in person, yet it's not in digital communication? Yeah. I mean, I'm still receiving those, you know, types of emails from people who are just furious. You know, I mean, this, it's almost like they put on a mask whenever they are talking about political issues and they become a different person or it's a different side. But, and and you, the funny thing is like, you'll get those kind of emails from somebody who's just brutally mean to you. Yeah. You're like, I actually agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. There are those two. Like we're, we're actually like kind of on the same page on this. And yet you would think that we were at war with each other. Exactly. Like, this is so weird. And that happens as well, which is which is so curious. It's a phenomenon that I, I guess you have to experience in order to understand. With these letters, I mean, when we're getting, you know, 25, 30, 35 a week, which is what we have been getting, then the nice thing about it is that you can also look at the quality of the writing. Yeah. Normally when you get letters, as long as they're less than 350 words, as long as they send sources that I can actually see if they do contain facts and figures, as long as they're in on deadline, then they're going to be considered by us and Mm -hmm. they will very likely, you know, make it in. Now, when you get, you know, let's say five letters that are saying the same thing on the Democratic side and five letters that are saying the same thing on the Republican side, you can actually look at the points that they're making and how the letter is written, like how the writing (laughs) is, and select based upon that, and then the others are going up online just because it is the political season and we can't possibly fit them all in print anyway. So that's kind of the nice thing, you know, that happened over the past couple of weeks. We're now at the spot where no more political letters will be going in. So this Friday, today, we're we're broadcasting this on Friday. Broadcast probably isn't the right word. (laughs) So we're we're recording this on Friday. And so October 28th. And so that is the last day for political letters. Next next week. And why is that policy? Well, a lot of newspapers do it. Yes. Traditionally, it's because if you put something in, if you put an opinion letter in it, it happens to have something that is really wrong, then the candidate doesn't have an opportunity to respond to that and to correct the record. Neither do we even have the opportunity to say that, you know, hey, we got this wrong. So it is to allow for any last minute corrections. Now, when you tell people that's the reason, and this has happened to me so many times, I then get emails from people saying, well, you know, that was wrong. And so you should let this letter in that, you know, (laughs) which is not what we're talking about. I mean, it needs to be, you know, he voted in this way and it's, you know, a factual error and for us to recognize it. So the next week allows, you know, a newspaper to be able to correct anything that, you know, needs to be corrected. We're going to take a short break here. And then when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about just covering elections in politics, but like especially elections in general and the kind of that grapple with how do, you, how do you do it each year and does it make an impact? Yes. Okay. We'll be right back. This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwani counties. 
Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org slash careers. All right, we're back. Deb, so each year when the election season comes around, we have this discussion about how do we want to cover it? What's, what's the most useful? Not just, well, we need this candidate and that candidate, but a lot of times that's what it ends up being. But the thing that I think about a lot, and I think you do as well, is what makes an impact? What helps a voter and nowadays, with things so polarized, you almost wonder, is anything going to help the voter? What is anything right. going to impact anybody, whether it's even local elections or the, the Senate race or the governor's race? I, you've been doing this longer than I have. Mm-hmm. What do you feel works? What do you feel matters? <laughs> yeah, I wish I had an answer to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that, I don't know, was it probably a month? or so ago that you gave me a pep talk on this um, because <laughs> because I have been doing it for such a long time that I, I wonder now if there really is a way that you can cover an election that does make an impact. And I think, you know, at that time, we had a conversation in an editorial meeting and, you know, sitting around the table are staff members that are all younger than 30, I would say, mm-hmm. except for, you know, you and I. And and I put that question to them. Like, what makes you interested? Like, why would you want to read this? And that conversation that we had at that time was, well, nothing really, because the candidate doesn't matter. It's only the party. Yeah. I'm either going to vote Republican or I'm going to vote Democrat. Nothing else. Like, I, I just know when I walk in and then you and I are both like, oh, right, <laughs> exactly. And that's why, you know, you're and so that causes me to lose heart, you know, and to lose hope that we can actually make an impact by doing any kind of political coverage or have people just made up their minds. And I remember at that time you said to me, no, we are speaking to, you know, the middle, to the undecideds. And so I was like, all right, yes, we are. Yes, we are. You know, because that's what we're always hoping is that there are enough people out there who haven't already made up their minds. Like the people who have made up their minds, we're not going to change their minds, right? They have already decided what they're doing. But there are other people who are undecided. And again, our our approach isn't hey, we need to convince you of X or Y or no. Z. It's we're trying to give the information there for them to make a decision, at least have some input about the candidates and some knowledge about them to go, oh, I, that's what I agree with or I, I'm in line with this guy or that woman. And not necessarily like, oh, we need to push them in this direction. But that's what we grapple with. Like, does it even matter? And what I was saying when, when we had that conversation was most of those voters are, are highly polarized. But then there's also, when you're in this business, when you're in journalism, you're probably in the top one to 5% of most engaged Americans politically. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. most Americans are very loosely engaged. And so that's why they end up going, I'm only voting blue or red because they fall into that box. Or they're even less engaged about the parties and they just kind of go, huh, that person looked nice on TV. Mm, right. You know, right. or that's, they said something or they're a fan of the Packers. I like the Packers. Like I'm going to vote for the Packer fan, you know? Sure. Um, or the best one. My, my favorite one is I just don't like her. Yeah. Or I just don't like him. And you know, there's no reason to really pin that upon. It's just a feeling that you get. So. Right. And so my thought was, you know, we can like, 
we can help those voters. Yes. <laughs> those ones. I in know. The, and that's really what is deciding elections, right? It's not the Democrats and Republicans look at the election cycle as how do we fire up the base first? That's most of what they do. They keep make sure those people turn out to vote. And then it's a probably even less and less every year of going after that middle voter. And I think that that's what happens is, you know, you start off with, and, and I do consider it somewhat idealistic now, but you kind of have to be idealistic if you're reporting on an election and trying to give people the information that they need to make the decisions that they need to make when they vote. But I just wonder how many undecideds are out there anymore, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, it just seems that now that, you know, the platforms are, are very, very clear and they're based upon social issues more than they are on fiscal issues, even though the economy is a big deal to a lot of people right now, you can blame it on either party, you know? Mm -hmm. And so if you're a Republican, then you're going to say this. If you're a Democrat, you're going to say that. Like you can make any of the issues fit the platform that you happen to align with based upon social issues. Yeah. And that part of it, I think, makes it really difficult. Like it used to be, I have thought for, you know, a couple of decades, at least now, that the biggest issue that separated Democrats and Republicans was abortion. And now that that is that elephant has stomped down the walls and has made itself very, very, very present, then there is no turning back on that now. Like you can, right. you, there's no, there's no like saying, well, I'm just not going to talk about that. I'm not going to say exactly why I'm voting this way, but I, you know, that really is the reason I'm voting this way. And so now it's out there. Yeah. So how do you, how do you retreat? Like, how do you change your position to a different party that when it's so starkly divided? So what we want is a candidate, a real candidate <laughs> who actually doesn't always think of the career move and the political ramifications of crossing those barriers, of crossing those borders, of being, hey, you know what, I believe this in the Democratic Party platform, or hey, you know what, I believe this in the Republican Party platform, and mixing it up and being courageous and independent. Yeah, and there's less and less of that. And there I is, know. And, and honestly, what we've seen is candidates less and less willing to even answer questions. Yes. Even then, four years ago, eight years ago, 12 years ago, it has become... I'll just say like more gutless. Yes. Honestly. Impossible almost. Yeah. I mean, that happened with us. We wanted to On cover the U.S. Senate. Up and down, both both parties. Yes. There's very few. I will say this. Andre Jacques will say what he thinks. Yeah. <laughs> like whether you agree with him or not, and I'll admit that I largely don't, but he says who, he is who he is. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot of that, honestly. Well, I mean, I think that people gravitate toward that. And so now there's a new trend in politics and, you know, it was fashioned eight or so years ago where it really appeals to people to say what you think, no matter how radical you think it is. There are lots of people who are thinking the same thing that you're thinking. So it really has become like Ron Johnson is is definitely one of those as well. He says pretty much what he thinks. But he won't answer any he won't questions come to you and answer questions. Whereas, he won't, and that, that's the difference. Is yes, some people will just state that. I mean, there's yeah. so much handling Good that's point. going on now, and that, and that wasn't the case. You know, I've been doing this now 18 years. That certainly wasn't the case even 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. But now there's so much, so much of a wall, and so much of, like the state parties 
even having a lot of control over very local elections and the national party as well when you talk about the Senate races, whereas heck, when Tim Michaels and, and Feingold, I think that's what it, Tim Michaels and, and Russ Feingold years ago, like there weren't as many walls. There weren't mm-hmm. as many layers to talk to candidates as there are now. I remember when Russ Feingold would come up here and I would literally trail him like around he's and he would be like, you're going to follow me this whole time, aren't you? And I, yes, yes, I am. (laughs) And you know, he was, he was perfectly fine like that. There is no type of access that you would get to political figures these days. It is very well handled because they want to make sure that they control the entire message. There is no longer, you know, a belief that it, you know, should be mediated, you know, that that message needs to be mediated in order to be able to get some version of, you know, the truth out there. And that's no longer the case. And there are a few candidates who, who disagree with that. And it's hard on our side because I know like the public, and I was this way before I was inside a newspaper, you think there are unlimited resources. Like, why aren't you digging deeper? Why aren't you just hounding these people and making it? And it's, I mean, our newsroom is three and a half of us writing news. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> uh, so it's, you have all the local, you know, we're a local newspaper. You have all the local issues that you have to cover. You can't just trail a candidate. And if you do trail one, you have to have someone trailing the other one. Yeah. You know? So right. it's really tough to do just like, okay, we're going to get around you and, and dig deeper and, and do all this research because you just don't have those resources that maybe a large newspaper did. And that's a really good point. I mean, I think it's not something that a lot of people understand. Most of the letters that we get are for national or state politics. They're not for local politics. Mm -hmm. Like next April, when we have town elections and local municipal elections, we're not going to get letters. So most people, uh, you know, for our readers who decide to write, most of them are just engaged with state and federal politics. Well, you know what? We don't cover state and federal politics. If there is a state issue that impacts Door County and we can make it relevant to Mm -hmm. our readership, then we do that. But to then suddenly, you know, start covering state and well, state is a little bit easier because, you know, we have candidates who are here on a regular basis. So the assembly, the state Senate, you know, that's easier, but you know, federal elections, I mean, we don't cover national politics. We don't cover politics that are happening in Madison. So that is, you know, something that we can't just suddenly, oh, we're going to take our 2.5 people and we're going to send them, you know, to Madison or, you know, have them cover this very, very, very vital U.S. Senate seat that we have race in Wisconsin. We can't do that. And I'm, you know, I'm saying that with, with, no degree of sadness. Our focus is our communities. I wish that more people were as, you know, focused on that and and wrote a lot of letters about what's happening in, you know, Sister Bay or Bailey's Harbor or Sevastopol, you know, as opposed to these national issues, you know, that we don't cover, but we can't tell people what to write. (laughs) Well, well, I I would like to. Um, Yeah, right. I try to. No. Um, you know, even on the local campaign, just a aside on this is I even wonder what matters to local voters when you're talking about, say, a school board race. Sure. Or and, and we've gotten those letters where people say, well, you should you should put the party for the school board race and for all these like the town board race. You should list whether they're Republican or Democrat. It's like it, they're not they're, they're nonpartisan. nonpartisan. And, and second of all, like now we are you're going to that's not what decides. You know, yeah, that's not what they're they're not. 
let's say abortion is your issue and you're mm-hmm. saying, I want to know that. And I, I know that trickles down a little bit into maybe like little policy pieces of, of all these events, but like your local school board is not making decisions on that. Mm, <laughs> so, right. Right. And that's frustrating. Yes. But also like I, I've put the questionnaires out with local candidates and even that base level of coverage for a town board. And you'll see one candidate's answers versus another. And you'll be like, well, there's no way this guy wins. Like, mm obviously has no idea what he's talking about, has no grasp of this, and it's all there on paper. And then that guy or woman wins overwhelmingly. And you're just like, what do I know about anything? Like what Mm -mm. clearly like that person just has more friends and like their ability to actually do the job does not matter. Sure. In so many of those. Sure. And people do tend to vote more on who they know and who they like in town and village politics because they're not quite as clear what their local municipality does right. for, you know, I mean, they think that they know what they, what happens at the state level and the national, you know, discussions oh, that are going no on. Deal. You just have a $7 million budget. Right. So, I mean, because they're nonpartisan, they're like, all right, so what do they do? You know, I mean, it's not really where it is the most accessible. I mean, you could know, you know, exactly what's happening there, but yeah, there's just not as much engagement with those. Now school board races up here, and particularly in Gibraltar, those are always very active. Right. And I do remember that, yes, the partisan issue started to, it was it was brought on by COVID, you know, because yeah. school districts were making those decisions as to, you know, what kinds of protocols, safety protocols should be put in place. And because those safety protocols were politicized, then people wanted to know. So I'm glad that is over with. Yeah. So we don't have to really deal <laughs> with that part of it anymore because that work. was right. That was that was really difficult to negotiate. But the one thing that I've noticed in our letters and also, you know, in the signs, and I asked a lot of people about this because I thought maybe I just haven't seen these signs before and they've always been up, but for parties, you know, not for candidates. Like right. vote for the Republican Party, vote for the Democratic Party. So it's almost like you don't even any longer have to, you know, have a candidate. And everything that my brain goes back to when it comes to party politics, I've learned in Russian literature. <laughs> so when I see things like that, I'm just like, holy crap, what is that? By the way, now you've just, uh, we're going to get a bunch of letters from people who say like, see, they're, they're, <laughs> she's a Bolshevik. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pulse News Editor is a communist. Yes. So, who, right bases everything on, on Russian propaganda. <laughs> um, Dostoevsky is not propagated. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk more about the science because you wrote this editorial a couple of weeks ago just about this very issue of the, the party sign versus the candidate sign. And I think of it like that was a different way than I've been thinking about. It. I just think of the size of these signs that oh, are in my right. face everywhere. And I was trying to think of when that started. And I think it was George W. Bush maybe his second election where I first noticed like the big, almost like mini billboard. Oh, the massive signs. With like the big W on it. And then then in 2008, you didn't have like the big, Obama signs weren't like big Obama signs, although there were some, but it was more that that kind of um, the painting style graphic started showing up where people would do that like homemade with the Obama's face with uh, I think red on one side and white on the other or something like that. The hope sign. Good, Good memory. So people would start doing those And then suddenly it became, you know, like the local races used to have like a few yard signs out there. And then suddenly there's billboards for the local assembly and and Senate races and everything under the sun. And now you got people with 
six of these in a row out yeah. in their yard. And whatever party you are, I mean, honestly, I, I just hate it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hate driving down the road and it, it just, to me, when they're that big and there's so many, it's like somebody's screaming at me. Uh, that's what, right. that's what the signs feel like to me on both sides. And, and since we're kind of entrenched in this in the newspaper where we're kind of in between these, whether it's the letters or moderating of the Facebook comments and stuff that we see, it just seems like it's nonstop. So maybe the average citizen doesn't feel that way, but I just, I just wish, uh, I know this would be impossible for Mariah and the folks at Door County Land Use Services to mm. actually enforce, but there are rules regarding those signs. And I'd be like, I would love to see those actually just strictly followed and pull them out when they, when the time's up, because it just, that's a good metaphor. I mean, it really is the size of the sign screaming at you. I, I totally understand that, that that's kind of what it feels like to me. Like if I'm driving by somebody's house where the the signs are not only massive, but there are like 10 little signs that are gathered around that big sign. Yeah. Then I'm like, what, what does that do? Like all it does is, is say something about you. It doesn't actually persuade anybody about anything. Like, do I drive by and say, Oh, that person is voting for all of these people. And so, I think I should too. Yeah. Do you ever think that? No, I think maybe when I was less engaged, I, I'm thinking of like being a, a kid when you don't really judge politics the same way when you're like, I don't know, 14 or something. And if you drive by and you see a lot of one thing, you're like, yeah, this community really likes that guy. Yeah. You know, sure. maybe it comes across that way. If, yeah. And maybe that's the whole science behind it. Mm -hmm. I've read different studies that say like yard signs are a bad investment for candidates and other studies say, oh, they're kind of good. I know like if you're an incumbent, you can reuse them. So your value goes up because you don't have to reprint them every year. And I think up here, there's a couple of people who go around and distribute them all even. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It makes it a little easier, but I don't know. I don't know what they're trying to get across to either. I mean, sometimes I drive by, and I'm like, why don't you just stand out on the road and put your middle fingers up at for drivers? <laughs> like, that's what I feel. Sometimes I just think it's like, you know, now it's just they're outing themselves. <laughs> well, there's because, some of that, yeah. Yeah. I, I remember when I lived in uh, southwest Minnesota, you just didn't see a lot of Democrat signs around. Like, people didn't dare to put them up. There it was 87 to 92% Republicans. Hmm. So it was, you know, predominant. But here, you know, we have, we're pretty purplish. And yeah. so we do have you know, both sides, which I like. I mean, that is, that's fantastic that we get both of it. But, you know, for like going back to the signs just for parties, like what does that do? Does that just admit that nobody ever votes against party platform politics now? I mean, it probably always was the case, but I like to think that I was voting for an individual, even if they never did vote against the, you know, party vote. But I think that it used to happen more. I think it used to happen more. And I think the parties were a little different in, like, I think of Tommy Thompson. Mm -hmm. Tommy Thompson in today's Republican Party. And Tommy Thompson was a 12-year governor of Wisconsin. Three terms, extremely popular. Moved from governor to George W. Bush's administration. Later became the, the I'm U blanking on it, the UW system yeah, the regents, UW, right? I think. But- he couldn't win a race in the Republican Party today. Yeah, probably not. No chance, mm. honestly. And that speaks to how the parties have, have split in that. So 
take, for example, growing up, he was that name you always saw and you would just go, oh, that's our governor. Okay, good. Now, like, I don't, I don't feel like if the governor's from another party, I don't think somebody, anybody goes, that's our governor now. Mm, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they just, it's either hate or love. There is no, right. eh, it's all right. There's some voters that way, but like on the two fringes or on the, the base of each party, I don't think there's any, Yeah. there's no give. You know, we get, let's take Mike Gallagher, for example. He was, he was considered a different kind of Republican when he first ran. Mm-hmm. And we very rarely get information from his campaign or not his campaign, but his office that's not slamming a democratic policy. Right. Or talking very, about China. Or talking about China. It's those two topics almost, I don't know, it's got to be 80 to 90% of them. Absolutely. So he was considered kind of a new type of politician when he, or at least that's how it was framed when he ran. And yet, I mean, the emails come in like they're screaming at the Democratic Party. That's not a, I'm not trying to say like agree or disagree, but that's the tone. Yes. And that's, you get a lot of that from Democrats too. There's you not a lot of yep. considering a policy and going, well, there's some good points here. I don't agree with this. I'd love to work with so-and-so on that. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't happen anymore. And I feel like that's, and maybe I was too young. Maybe I just remember it wrong. Well, but I feel like that was the case even in when I first started covering this stuff in the early 2000s. I think you're, I think you're exactly right because I used to be more of an independent voter. I mean, I have voted for both parties' candidates at one time or another. So and I think that President Biden, I think why his approval rating is so low is because he's that old time politician where he never says anything bad about anybody. Like he's never that extreme person who says, you know, who slams the other side because he came up in a time of trying to negotiate so that you could get things done and you could get things passed. Well, now that scene is really weak. Yeah. Like if you're not out there slamming the other party, then, and, and now it, people take it personally. Like, so before it might've been seen as the theater of politics. Now people are like, you know what? Screw you. I am. Oh, can I say screw you? On sure. this? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> screw you. I am not, you know, I'm not going to agree with you on this. I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to, you know, I mean, it becomes personal. Like there are not those relationships. And I remember in Minnesota, Colin Peterson used to be the U.S. representative. And we had a conversation a couple of times and he talked about he was part of the blue dog Democrats, which meant that they agreed with the Republicans on a lot of things. And they used to play in bands together. They used to do all kinds of things together. And there was like more of a collegial, you know, kind of atmosphere. And now people like fly in, fly home, fly in, fly home. And there is no, you know, consensus building because there are no relationships. Yeah. So I think that Biden comes from that old school politics. And I don't think it was bad. I think it was actually probably a good way to, to work with each other. But now it's seen as weak. Well, take Newt Gingrich and Bill Clinton. Yeah. Seen as people who hated each other actually worked a lot together on legislation, even as Newt Gingrich was trying to impeach him. They were still working together on, on some really important pieces of legislation. That's kind of, I think, the mindset that you and I are coming from on this. And you, you spoke about the fly in, fly out, fly home to your, to your donors and things. Mike Gallagher, actually, one of his early platforms was trying to change that dynamic, mm. was he wanted to change the way the schedule for Congress work so that it wasn't based on that. So you actually did work together and, and try and get some things accomplished. Kind of gave up on that. I think I had him on the podcast the last election cycle and he more or less said, it's not realistic. You Nobody wants to do it. <laughs> Nobody wants to change. And that's sad. 
Yeah. It really is. Well, it's also sad that you would give up that quick. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it is sad that nobody wants to change. And I, I, I never understand politicians who want to run for these offices just to stay in them. Yes. Like, I tend to think, just go in there, take the flamethrower, do what you believe in. Who cares if you offend the party? If you get voted out, is it really that important? But it is to p- people like the power. People like to be in that position. And the but prestige, my approach would be yeah. like, I'd rather like go down swinging and vote me out, vote me out. You know, like mm-hmm. what's so great about doing this job? But, you know, you get paid like, local assembly, Senate, you get... You're getting 60000 a year plus great health benefits and a lifetime And <laughs> lots of office furniture. Lots so of great get, office furniture, travel yes. paid for to and from your, your hometown. So. There must be the bug, the power prestige bug once you get into office. Because I'm sure that there are a bunch of people that run based upon what you just said. Maybe fewer people now. But it must be pretty powerful in order for them to say, you know what? It is more important for me to stay in office than anything else. Well, And you can see the importance of that. And I think it probably trickles down a little bit from the state party and the the national party because they get involved in the campaigns. Mm. The first four or five election cycles I covered up here, you never, there wasn't really a campaign for the first assembly Mm. and the Senate district. Like you didn't, you didn't see much other than a few yard signs. Mm -hmm. And even like the first time it got competitive when I think, I can't remember if it was Ami Grail who ran against Gary Byes or Dick Scary who ran against Gary Byes. But there were a couple of years where it was, okay, somewhat, Gary usually won pretty easily, but there were a couple of somewhat close races. But that was just like a few more yard signs and a, maybe a mailing. Now you get mailings constantly. And if, and it felt local. Like it yeah. didn't feel like it was, yeah. And you never thought to look up the campaign contributions that they'd received yeah. so far. Now so. for local assembly stuff, you get the same sort of brash kind of over the top mailer that they would send out for a federal office. Yeah. Which speaks more probably to political aspiration. I don't know. Or just more money pouring in, right? Yeah. Yeah. Astonishing amounts of money. And maybe that's why they can afford to put up those massive billboards there that you I hate go. to look at. That's <laughs> right. Right. I mean, so they have plenty of money to do that. I mean, that is the U.S. Senate race here for Wisconsin. I think, I don't know, Ron Johnson had raised million and Mandela Barnes had 2.5, something like that. When I looked up earlier this week, uh, it was as of September 30. And that is just an astonishing amount of money to me to elect a person to Congress. Like, what could you do with $6 million? Like, if you took both? Well, it's an astonishing amount to spend to get elected. It's even more astonishing to spend to lose, right? (laughs) Right, Right, exactly. I mean, and so whenever I I try not to go to that website too often, you know, to look at what the contributions are, because you add them up and it's like, you know, the gross it's the GDP of like a third world country. And that is wrong. <laughs> there yeah, is something just, wrong with that. Just flat out wrong. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it just is. Yeah. All that said, go out and vote. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or, right. Go out and vote. Or, and vote. What I always tell people like, maybe you shouldn't vote. I don't mean the general pe- people shouldn't vote. I'm, I'm not one of those that says everybody should just vote. Like if you actually don't know the difference between the two candidates, if you don't know anything about Democrat versus Republican, like where the platforms are, Actually, then don't waste my vote. Don't mm. cancel my vote with just like, oh, I just corn flip. Mm. Like, yeah. So that is my approach. I know like generally everyone says like, whatever you do, you have to vote. I'm like, what, what's the point of somebody who doesn't know what they're voting for voting? Mm. Am I wrong? Well, it, I, I don't think that I would, I, I totally agree that uneducated voters are dangerous, 
but I... And by that, you don't mean their level of education, do you? Oh, or, no, or no, no, no. you're talking about people not educated on the... Oh, right. On the election. Of course, yes. Yeah. People who are voting without knowing who they're voting for. The reason why I'm so hesitant right now is because if it is truly just the party that you're voting for, then I guess you don't need to know anything about the candidate, which is why those signs are so dangerous. Right. Which... That's that's okay in my book. If you're mm-hmm. just saying, I don't know the candidate, but I know that Republicans do this and Democrats do this, and therefore I'm going to vote Republican, or therefore I'm going to vote Democrat. Sure. That I get, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of validity to that. I mean, there's like- Well, we then just everybody should vote, because I don't think anybody is uneducated about I think the party. Do you really? I think there's a lot of people who don't know- Like the what difference. their party stands for? What either, I wouldn't even say, like, there's a lot of people who don't, they wouldn't even say it's their party, right? Yeah. I think there's a lot of people who don't know- the difference and who are just maybe someone tell them, yeah, go vote. Like, okay, I'll go vote. Like, well, I hope not. Yes. So they need to be more educated about why it's important for them to vote or let's put it this way, important for them to know enough to be able to vote because it was never intended that people didn't understand what they were doing when they voted. Mm -hmm. Like that was never the intention of the founders. It was supposed to be an educated you know, citizenry. And so that's what we need is to try and educate people enough about local, state, national politics so that they feel comfortable in casting their vote. I mean, maybe they don't know like every vote that was cast or every single thing on the platform. But if they know that, you know, I believe this and I know that this party believes this or this candidate believes this, then they do need to participate in this democracy. They need to participate in this representative democracy. So I I would really encourage more voting than not. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so it's not wrong, Miles, but... I would it, like only me to vote. No. <laughs> All right. All right. So with vote that, November 8th. <laughs> with that, we'll wrap this little All rant right. up. <laughs> yeah, right? We got a lot off our chest here, Deb. Yeah, we did. Um, I was a little reluctant, but... <laughs> <laughs> brought it out of you. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for a couple of really, I think, thoughtful, insightful editorials that really hit, I think, on what a lot of people are thinking. Not so much yeah. the letters thing, but especially the sign thing, because I, I think yeah. the letters is pretty specific to us. But the signage thing, I think a lot of people are, are thinking about that, too, in yeah. the county. So thanks for joining me and, and ranting a little bit. Always fun. Thanks, Miles. <laughs> and thanks to our listeners, as always, for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. We'll be back again next week with a couple more episodes, hopefully a little lighter on politics for you. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.